This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we preview and review the big business and market stories with an Oanda Senior Market Analyst. And this week it is Craig Earlham from London. And it's a very good and rather wet afternoon in London. Craig, how are you doing? Yeah, it is really wet. And I think that the next week's going to be like this as well. I mean, thankfully, uh, we're used to this kind of weather. At least I am anyway. I'm, I'm from the north of England where we're used to constant rain, be it summer or winter. So Apart from that ridiculous heat wave, which lasted about 48 hours, that is it for the summer this year. Everyone was hoping for a repeat of last year and it, we got it for just under a week and it was midweek as well. So we didn't really get to enjoy it. And then the weekend came and it rained again. Is it bad for business, this weather? Well, it is. Uh, there's been a number of businesses which have actually uh, outlined the fact that because they're always compared to year on year, they're not necessarily quarter on quarter because different periods will play out differently. Obviously, Christmas is very good for retailers. Well, last summer was obviously very good uh, for a number of retailers and a number of like restaurant chains, etc. because the sun was out. We had the World Cup, of course. People were in a very buoyant mood and were therefore spending a lot more money. And obviously, the opposite is true this year. We've got, we had no football. We had the Women's World Cup, which obviously I think a lot of people actually did get behind, but possibly didn't attract the same kind of audiences in the bars and restaurants the weather just didn't really help matters either but it has been a tumultuous week for markets huge losses particularly over in wall street in a moment you're going to explain to me what inverted yield curves are because i'm apparently that's very important when it comes to these uh, huge falls on wall street and the rest of the world Yeah, so the easy task of explaining inverted yield curve. So basically, a government will issue bonds. The maturities on those bonds will range from around a month to usually 30 years. And the way to simplify how they look is we plot them on a chart. And what you would typically expect is the longer I am lending the government money, the more they should pay me for the privilege of having my money. Uh, That makes a lot of sense. So what happens is on this chart, showing from one month at the left-hand side to 30 years on the right-hand side, you'd expect the line to gradually rise because you're off getting more for your money for holding for longer. So it's quite straightforward normally. But what happens when we have uh, times when people are expecting a slowdown or a recession and therefore expecting central banks to cut interest rates is that the yield curve will invert, which means that rather than slowly rising from left to right, it will actually dip in the early part of the curve and then start to rise again later. So this can happen because we're expecting a slowdown or lower inflation in the future or usually both. And that's what has happened. But it's actually been happening now really since the back end of last year. So the factual actual inversion in the yield curve has been around for a long time. What people have become worried about this week and what happened on Wednesday was the 10-year yield actually fell below that of the two-year yield. That doesn't sound like obviously a very big problem, but it happened in the US and the UK. The reason why people are freaking out is because over the last 50 years, every time the 10-year yield has dropped below the two-year yield, a recession has followed within usually around 12 to 24 months following that period every single time. People are saying that this is obviously a strong recession indicator and the fact that this happened before means it's going to happen again, so we're headed for a recession. Now, that may be the case. We may be headed for a recession. Let's face it, we are in a period right now where a recession wouldn't necessarily come as a great surprise to anyone. The problem is the reason for recession uh, is feels a little bit different than before. And do you know what? I mean, this time's always different than the last time. We've Everyone always says that. If we look back at 2008, it felt like the seeds of the financial crisis were sown in the years leading up to it. So when it became apparent that we were heading for a recession, it almost felt like there was nothing we could do. The same was almost true in the dot-com. 
a lot of these recessions are effectively tri- triggered by credit bubbles that burst. Um, whereas this time around, it feels like this recession is actually being driven by very much uh, uh, has been created by ourselves. It's a trade war. It's risks of a recession in the UK because of Brexit, risks that are popping up everywhere, largely driven by politics, things that could actually be resolved. So, for example, whenever people say to me, does it mean we're having a recession in the next two years? It's like, well, that kind of depends on Trump and Xi. If Trump and Xi come out tomorrow and say, do you know what? We've signed a trade deal. Tariffs are being removed. I would say we're not having a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. But then again, is that going to happen? No, and that's what markets are pricing in. Markets are pricing in the fact that this is not heading in a good direction and the direction of travel we're headed in is leading us towards a recession. And it also never helps the fact that this is the longest ever bull cycle in the markets. So people are naturally saying, well, we're obviously at the end of this cycle anyway, and this is happening. Maybe we're just due a recession. The problem is economists will always say, bull cycles don't die of old age. They die of fundamental problems which have built up during that cycle. It's very interesting what you say about this being an unusual situation where it's almost a self-inflicted wound on so many different counts that could lead to recession. We've got Brexit, we've got the trade war, we've got populism around the world, the problems we might have with Iran, with Russia, we've got China in Hong Kong. It's such a long list, you could see that even if two or three of those happen or got worse, we would actually encourage that recession that we're talking about. It may be cyclical, because you're right, we are due for one, but... This is very much a self-inflicted wound, and that's what worries me. It's almost as if people are daring their governments to do these things because of this new populist ideology. It's almost like it's been so long since we've had a recession, we've forgotten what it was like, so people start taking greater and greater risks. Um, and that's well, what Trump's doing, obviously. With he, He's betting on the fact that the economy is so strong, he can take these risks, uh, and there won't be ramifications. One thing's for sure, there's a whole generation of people out there who perhaps weren't working in financial markets 10 years ago, who've never known high interest rates, who've never really known high inflation, who think that you know money is cheap. They're going to be in for one hell of a shock if things turn around. Well, money is cheap and it has been cheap for a long time and it's going to be very difficult to actually end that cycle. So the chances of the money not being cheap for some time is still extremely slim. There probably will be a recession. I would say there's more chance of a recession now than not. But we also have to define the term recession because a recession is defined as two consecutive quarters of contraction. Those two consecutive quarters could be 0.1% contraction, 0.1% contraction. Did anyone notice that we had a 0.2% contraction in the second quarter? I don't think many people did. Unemployment's still at a 44-year low. Wages are still rising at a decent rate. If we had another 0.1% contraction in this quarter, which is unlikely, as we spoke about last week on the podcast, we would technically be in recession. That's very different from what happened in 2008 during the global financial crisis, which is also technically a recession. So let's not confuse what is a re- what a recession is with a very strong recession. So I don't I don't think that we should be spreading too much panic. The other fear I think actually that exists, and I think this is probably almost more problematic, is that we live in a country whereby. If people think a recession is coming and change their behavior to adapt for an upcoming recession, you can actually cause a recession. If businesses are fearing a recession and therefore they invest less in the business, they can trigger a recession. If they start laying off staff, stop hiring replacement staff because they're worried about a recession, you can actually contribute to a slowdown in the economy. We live in a consumer-driven economy. So if me and you go out today and we rather than go out for a couple of beers or rather than go out and grab some food or rather than nip to the shops and buy a bit a few items of clothing, we decide to go home, save our cash in case that recession around the corner comes, then all of a sudden we're contributing to a recession because the shops and bars and restaurants make less money and therefore it changes their behavior going forward. So it almost becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy as well. And I think that's another worrying factor which we're seeing materializing because 
everyone this week has reported about the fact that the markets have dropped off. Everyone now knows what a yield curve inversion is and everyone now is speaking to each other in these bars and restaurants after work this evening. We'll be talking about, but are we heading for a recession? So again, self-fulfilling. Let's look ahead to next week, Craig. And I suppose the big indicator will be a combination of uh, central bank minutes. We've got the Fed minutes coming out, ECB minutes as well. And more importantly, Craig, what is happening at the Jackson Hole Symposium? Well, this actually links actually closely to everything we've just been talking about as well, because Trump has really come out strongly this week and he really wants to enforce the message that what we're seeing right now has nothing to do with China. It's nothing to do with the trade war, which he started. Fears of a slowdown, fears of a recession. He does not want to be in any way associated with that. So naturally, he's finding someone else to point the finger to. Well, he's actually been building this up for quite a few months now, because in, in, in his eyes, and he's made this explicitly clear, it's the Fed. The Fed is the problem. The Fed is the cause. The Fed is the the root of why people are now freaking out, why the markets are not performing well, why the economy is not growing as fast. Of course, you could argue that they have contributed in some ways to the fact that the markets are a little bit dislocated at this moment in time with the fact that they are behind the curve as far as the markets are concerned. You could argue that they shouldn't have raised interest rates in that fourth quarter when they seem to do so as an act of defiance against the president. But that's 0.25%. What impact will that have on the economy? I wouldn't think too much at all, if I'm perfectly honest. So it's quite clear that everyone's in agreement that the trade war is what's really causing this. But that doesn't mean that what the Fed does next is not important. The markets are strongly pricing in rate cuts now again in September from the Federal Reserve. Uh, At this moment in time, we see that the markets are pricing in a 74% chance of a 25 basis point rate cut at the next meeting in September, but a 26% chance of a 50 basis point cut. Now, it doesn't help the fact that we are in the summer months and we haven't heard from many policymakers recently who will be able to dispute this and maybe manage market expectations a little bit better. So this is where what happens next week really comes to the fore because on Wednesday we get the Fed minutes. Now, I would argue now that they are now outdated. We know that they raised interest rates. We know what they said after the meeting and a lot has happened since then. So I would argue that they're actually outdated at this point and that maybe people will brush them to one side. But the Jackson Hole Symposium on Thursday and Friday is a gathering of central bankers uh, and a number of them will give speeches. We will hear from Fed Chair Jerome Powell on Friday. We'll hear from other members of the Federal Reserve over those couple of days as well. So People are going to be paying a lot of attention to see what they say in light of everything that's happened over this last week. That Jackson Hole Symposium is all anyone's going to be talking about next week, of course, unless other things start to go wild in the markets in the lead up to that. But that is really the big event next week. We do have minutes from other central banks. We'll have ECB minutes on Thursday. We'll have RBA minutes on Tuesday. Of course, the RBA uh, is expected to cut interest rates again this year. They've already cut interest rates twice uh, over the last few months. So that's obviously going to be an interesting point overnight, of course, if you're here in the U.S. UK or even uh, in the US. And then obviously on, on Thursday, people really want to know more about what the ECB is planning. They led on to us at the last meeting that they are planning stimulus, but they also said they didn't discuss interest rate cuts. So the minutes will hopefully hold further details here. But we will hear from a lot of central bankers on Thursday and Friday. So I really feel like that is now going to be the, the focal point, given everything that's happened, both politically, but then in the markets again over the course of this week. Given everything that's happened, uh, Craig, all this uncertainty and bad news that's around at the moment, we've seen uh, gold spike this week as well. And conversely, oil is down. 
Yeah, I mean, this is just your typical risk barometers, really. Gold is a safe haven, and it's risen to above $1,500. I think it got as high as around $1,540. Even today, we're trading still above $1,500, even though we've seen a bit of a bounce back in the equity markets over the last 24 hours uh, or so. But what's interesting with gold is it's holding up until now it's held on to its gain so every time the markets bounce back gold hasn't rebounded lower that suggests that the market environment is still very bullish gold right now there's a number of reasons behind that risk of course helps that and the fact that this seems like a very risky environment right now is helping to push gold higher but I think the major factor is central banks. Central banks around the world have been cutting interest rates, talking about QE. We saw what happened in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. Gold got close to $2,000 before coming off uh, when central banks started tightening again and when the economy started to performing better. And of course, when the eurozone didn't collapse. But we are, seems, heading uh, higher once again because central banks are cutting rates. So the environment just seems prime for gold right now. When the markets have been selling off, gold hasn't been rallying that strongly. But we are on the back of two and a half months of a rally which has seen gold rise by 30%. So I wonder whether in the near term it may be coming a little overstretched, but broadly speaking, this seems like a very bullish environment for gold. We'll continue to see how that plays out. Conversely, as you say, oil it's completely linked to the demand side. For so long now, we've been focused on the supply side of oil prices. The US pumping at record levels, OPEC agreeing to production cuts in order to offset any rises in the US, Iranian outages, Venezuelan outages, etc., etc., etc. Well, now people are more focused on the demand side because when we're talking about a recession, you're effectively talking about less demand for oil. So all of a sudden, we've seen the OPEC and others revising down their growth demand forecasts for oil over the next year or two because the global economy is slowing and that affects demand for oil. So oil was actually suffering quite considerably in response to the uh, declines this week, the risk of recession, and didn't actually rebound anywhere near as well as equity markets. Again, because of that, purely on that demand side, that is a major concern for oil suppliers and therefore oil prices. Okay, well, on that uh, rather depressing note, uh, Craig, thanks for that before I go on my holiday. Yeah, but on the bright side, Liverpool won the Super Cup, so... (sighs) I mean, it's actually, broadly speaking, you could say it's been a great week. It's great to hear from you again, and I'll speak to you again in a couple of weeks' time. But of course, you'll be back next week with Nick Howard. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.